0: and turn to the book of Nehemiah, of course, and uh, we're going to dive in. Excited about the study today. I think it's going to be, uh, be applicable for all of us. Hey, some years ago, um, some years ago, uh, it was the Barna Research Group. so Perhaps you've heard of them. Uh, preacher types quote them all the time. They do a lot of spiritual surveys and research, not unlike uh, Pew Research or Gallup, formerly, I suppose. But they did a study, and they asked uh people one of the studies said what was, what's your favorite bible verse and one of the favorite verses of all americans is um the verse god helps those who help themselves um now those of you that aren't laughing wonder what's funny about that uh not in the bible right that's not in the bible they did another study sure enough it said that 70 percent of all americans believe that that's in the bible it actually comes from 1736 ben franklin uh in in the uh in the you know, poor Richard's almanac is where it is made popular, they, we think, the etymology of that phrase. But, um, but it, said, it noted, too, that, that some 40% of all Christians believe that that verse is in the Bible. Of course, we love that thinking. Uh, that is clearly an American kind of way to think that, yes, God is in the mix, but I'm going to bring what I bring. And if I bring enough, he's going to bring what he brings. Uh, the truth is, if you look at Scripture, it says that God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps the helpless is who he helps, not those who think they're bringing something to the table, right? And this just, you know, reminded me of um, many verses that are real verses that we have misunderstood or misinterpreted. One of those verses is uh, Philippians 4.13. Anybody know that verse? That's a popular verse. I can do all things through Christ Christ. Who strengthens me? Now we read that verse, and like a lot of verses, we pull it out of context. And and maybe you, when you read that verse, you've pulled it out when you've needed to, you know, finish the deal, you know, make the sale. You got to stay up late. I can do all things. You're you're running a marathon, or you're at the gym, and some guy's wearing a T-shirt that says that has it on there. It's got Jesus, you know, bench pressing something, you know, with big big chest or something like that. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and, and here's the thing. We've misunderstood that verse, and I want to talk about it, and we're going to land on it here in just a little bit. Um, because, uh, you know, think about it. I, it I, could, I could claim that verse, and then I could say, you know, I'm going to um, I'm gonna play NBA basketball. That's always been a dream of mine. That's what I now. Some, some of you all laugh and see. Because, you know, I could work out all day long, every day of my life. I could get coaches around me. I would never make an NBA Basketball team, never, and so what does this mean that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Because what this can lead to is this idea: sure enough, that God helps those who help themselves. If I work hard enough, if I get after it, God can help me do anything that I want to do until I can't. Right, and uh, so what I want to talk about is this. This uh, I've, I've referenced it before. What many of us have. In our lives is what I'd call an arrogance of capacity Now i'm going to speak to different as, as we do cross-generational group of men. Some of you Um are retired and perhaps today, uh, you you know Your biggest decision is whether you're going to get a tea time if it stops raining, you know Um, but I know many men who in retirement are saying man i'm busier than i've ever been right And some of you guys who have young ones at home Some of you are are in the in the throes of working and and are really challenged these days with uh, with the schedule or the pace of your life. And I want to ask you, you don't have to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you are tired today. How many of you are weary today? How many of you are asking the question or perhaps you have recently, if you ever have asked the question, I how long can I keep going at this pace? Some of you, maybe you're at a place in your life right now where you're thinking, I can't, I can't sustain this pace of life. I can't continue on as I am. Now, all of us could probably um, you know, pursue that, that, that thought in some form or fashion. Maybe it's not because you, your, your whole day is filled with work and you get, you're not getting enough sleep. But some of us are filled with anxiety in our minds. Whether our bodies are running fast, our minds will not stop, and uh, we, have, we have trouble resting uh again you don't have to raise your hand how many have trouble sleeping at night and whatever you wake up thinking about we'll point you uh to your to your idols we've said recently i heard i heard travis cook share that uh recently in one of his sermons years ago i was with a mentor friend of mine and i was a pastor early on at the time and uh this older gentleman i'd meet with i had a group of older men that i'd meet with and just talk about life a- and uh and seeking to strike a balance with little ones at home, uh, and I was trying to be a good dad. And I remembered that I made a covenant long ago, and and to this uh, this church it was up in McKinney. I I said if I feel like I'm losing my family in this deal, I am out, because God had had not called me to sacrifice my family on the altar of, of ministry. And um and I remember telling him that I'm as busy as I've ever been. I just can't get it all done and. And I'm wrestling with so much, and and I'm not not getting enough rest. And you know, I was, I was just kind of whining, I suppose, about my life. And and he said, "Well, Jeff, who who do you think you are, Superman?" And I still remember that. And this many years later, that may not seem profound, but to me, he was saying, "Jeff, you have limitations. Who do you think you are? You 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 you've got to slow down, and you've got to figure out how to how to live in such a way." That you can sustain this pace and do what God's called you do to do, because what I what I realized at the time, and I know it's true now, is when we cannot stop and we continue to press forward, um, that's that's not just a mental problem. It's not well. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. That's that is unhealthy spirituality that's being being lived out and practiced in your life. And so today, what I want to do is talk about um, living out of a Sabbath. Rest. Living out of a Sabbath rhythm. Many of us think that, that the Sabbath is is well, it's, that's now you, you know Sunday. You're talking about Sunday, so God's given us a day we're supposed to rest. And many of us, particularly those of us in ministry, and many of you who serve, uh, even on Sunday, you're like, that's not that's not a day of rest for me. Um and, and but we've we've come to believe that, that Sabbath really is about a day of rest. And and even there we think it's a day we work hard all week and then we rest up. We get re-energized on a Sabbath or rest, and then we get back into it again. Listen, Sabbath is not a place where we finally get a great nap because we've been working so hard so that we can kick back in and work hard on Monday. That's not Sabbath rest. That's not biblical Sabbath. And, and what I want to talk about, because it runs much further than a commandment or a day of the week, but a rhythm of life. And uh, we're going to see one of the reforms that Nehemiah brought back uh, after, the, um, after the wall was built. Uh, you start to realize he's much more into a reform among God's people than he is anything built. The uh, the wall was simply um, uh, um, uh, you know, evidence of the fact that the people of God had dispersed, that they were not following after him. It was simply a tangible reminder that they had turned from him. Nehemiah was more interested in spiritual reform. And so what we get to here uh, in, in Nehemiah chapter 9, we left last week where we were talking about the... Uh, the implementation of Scripture. When you have Scripture read among the people, it led to confession of sin, and then it led to reform. The three things, you can see it there. You can write it, in fact, in your notes there. I want you to follow along. If you haven't uh, pulled those off your table there, um, you can, you can uh, fill, out, uh, fill in the blanks as you listen with me here. The, the first thing I want to talk about, just real quick, and then we're going to dive into the second one. We're going to look at the, the first Uh, Next week really a consecration of our lives before the Lord as we wrap up our study in response to God's faithfulness Nehemiah's reforms final reforms led to three things. The first one was you might remember a purity of marriage purity of marriage the importance of, of Consecrating ourselves, you know in the world living in the world But not of the world marriage of course is the foundation of the family What Nehemiah is getting to is this the fragility of a nation uh, really is, is, is because of a fragile family. A fragile family is the um, result of a fragile marriage. So all of life, and you could say then, a fragile marriage starts with a fragile man who's not living out as a leader in his marriage, leads to family, leads to community, and to a nation, ultimately. The next reform that he sought to bring, we, we hit on these briefly last week, a, a spiritual rhythm of life, the Sabbath. You can write that down, the Sabbath. The importance of living out of rest in the life of a leader. Living out of rest, not simply rest from working too hard, but living out of rest. One of the things that I, I heard um, many years ago, that I, I think I've shared here from from this in this study, it was Rick Warren who who said a pattern of life. He has all these anecdotes which are so great. Uh, he said he said and I've, and I've sought to practice this now for decades to divert daily. He says to withdraw weekly, and to abandon annually. Uh, Divert daily, that is to get away on a daily basis, uh, spend time in the Word and time with the Lord, and to withdraw weekly. Have a day where you actually step away from it all, and you have a a period of time that's a Sabbath, where you have a period of time, a 24-hour period of time, is, is best and good. And he says, divert daily, withdraw weekly, and then abandon annually, living out of a rest and taking an extended period of time, where you get away from it all. Again, it's not simply running ourselves to death uh, and then resting on a Sunday or a Saturday so we can get back at it. It's reminding us, we're going to see today, that God is in control of all things. The last uh, piece of reform was uh, what we call extraordinary gen- uh, generosity. We call it here in our church, overflowing generosity. Um, why would God explicitly give us, give His people... Um, very clear instructions about the sabbath that you want to take a day off Uh, and why would he give explicit instructions about giving about generosity he would say a tithe is 10 percent of what you have and i want you to be clear that this is what you do he wants to establish yet another pattern of of a rhythm of life and worship in our lives now many of us look at those kinds of things we say that's old testament and we disregard them altogether. jesus would say no 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 I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And in fact, what we're going to see today is Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. In fact, he said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And uh, I want us to, to really get our minds and our hearts around this. And I think it's going to be very encouraging uh, and life-changing if you apply what we learned today. Romans, I mean, uh, Romans, uh, Nehemiah 13, we see uh, that he's, he's been laying out this, these reforms. And now come his final reforms. Uh, for the sake of time, and our coffee is back there, by the way, right now, um, if you want to get up and get some along the way. Uh, for the sake of time, we're going to uh, land on just a portion of Scripture here. But in Nehemiah 13, um, we see that uh, in, in, in verse 4, I just want you to see this real quick. Uh, Tobiah is a name that we've seen throughout this study. We saw it early on. Do you remember Tobiah? Tobiah was one of the... Uh, one of the enemies that came against him early on. We think he was kind, a kind of governor of sorts, but he was a higher-up official. Well, they had taken over, really, the house of God, it says, so the temple. And, and it says that, uh, that Tobiah, that he had a large chamber there, in verse 5, where they had previously put uh, the grain and offering, the frankincense, the vessels and tithes of grain that they were to bring to the temple. They previously put them there. Well, they stopped doing that. There's no need for storage anymore. People aren't bringing the priest, the Levites aren't helping. They're not bringing um, all that was to be brought, even uh, all that was given by commandment to, to the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers. So this was kind of the tie that was brought to those who would serve in the worship and the practice around the temple. Well, they, they ceased doing that. So Tobiah took over that area. He had his own place. He set it up for himself. And what, what uh, Nehemiah does, one of the final bits of reform, is to get rid of Tobiah. He casts him out. He takes all of his stuff in his chamber courts there, and, he's, and he casts him out. In verse 8 it says, And I was very angry when he discovered that th- all this was happening. And he said, And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Um, now we could land on that and talk about the need to throw out some things in our lives that are keeping us from worshiping the Lord, that are, that are uh, desecrating the temple of our lives and, and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But I want you to go to verse 15 for the sake of time. It says here, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath. All right, He's about to get angry again. And bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. And in the ESV, there's an exclamation point. He's not happy. He can't believe this is happening. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you're doing, Profaning the Sabbath? so he, these nobles are leaders, these are ones that should be held accountable. He's saying in verse 18, did not your fathers act in this way, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? He said, in this why we're in the state we're in, you're going to continue on in this now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath as soon as it uh, became or began to grow dark as as nighttime started, and you know that the, the Hebrew day really begins in, in, in the evening, it goes and in, in through the morning, he says as soon as it started there the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut, and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. So he's saying, we're going to shut this down. there's going to be no trade, there's not going to be any work to be done on the Sabbath. He's now bringing back the Sabbath of the Lord, one of the commandments. Of God. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? See, he's, they're, they're getting ready to sell their goods. They're ready to sell. He says, if you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Uh-oh. He's going to lay hands on some people. If you do so again, I'll lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. All right, so Nehemiah stopped it, scared them to death, and they did not come anymore. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come, guard the gates. They're the ones to be leading, to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, oh my God. See, every now and then he turns to prayer while he's journaling, writing this down for us. And spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. He says, Lord, please remember that I've sought to obey you. I'm seeking to, uh, to lead these people. Let's talk about this. Why was he so upset? What's, so, what's such a big deal about the Sabbath? And how can we, uh, how can we implement this, these truths and principles in our own lives? Uh, so I've called this study Profaning the Sabbath. Now, quickly, I think most of us would say, I'm not sure I profane the Sabbath. Those are strong words, profane, um, that, that we would treat something as as sacred. We would abuse it. Uh, it'd be irreverent. We we'd treat it with contempt or desecrate it is what that means. Um, you might say, I'm not sure I'm desecrating the Sabbath. But I think that all of us are in regard to the principle and the heart of the Sabbath. The Sabbath goes all the way back to creation. Perhaps you know this. We re- we looked at it recently. If you come here. Uh, to Park Cities, we talked about it in the story of Exodus. We looked at uh, the story of manna coming down from heaven. Uh, God told the people, even prior to the implementation of the Sabbath, He said, "On the sixth day, collect twice as much. On the seventh, don't do any work at all. God will provide for you." The Sabbath is a reminder that God is in control of our lives, and that we can stop and we can trust Him. Um, I see um, many of you know Jeff White, who's been helping uh, with our men's Bible study and helping serve as a leader, and uh, he. Um, He's a, a Chick-fil-A operator. And, uh, and, and they, you know this, the Cathys decided we're going to close on Sundays. Uh, there was a moment in time where they decided that we're going we're to trust the Lord. We're going to let our employees, you know, be off on Sundays. There's a principle at work. They wanted their, their employees to have a time to step back to get away from work and be with family. But at the same time, they're trusting the Lord with this, you know, multi-billion dollar company to say God's going to take care of us. And praise God, he has, right? Some of you are going to go eat Chick-fil-A today because I mentioned it. Um, but, but, uh, but the Lord has, has, has blessed them. And in the same way, he blesses us. If we live out of Sabbath rhythm. So what does this mean? What, what does it look like to live out of Sabbath rhythm? Um, in Mark chapter 2, verse 22, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is when he, was, he and his disciples were accused of not keeping the Sabbath. And what he's saying here is that the Sabbath was created for man's benefit. It's for our benefit, and so we're to follow it for our good. And then he said after that, he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm Lord over the Sabbath. What did he mean by this? Well, by saying that the, that the Sabbath was made for man um, and not man for the Sabbath, he's restating the principle. God is saying there's a time for rest. He instituted that we would live out of rest. See, here's the difference between working my tail off until I just crash and burn, have a great nap on Saturday or Sunday. That's not what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is actually, is actually living my life out of rest. And this should happen on a daily basis, a regular basis. But there's a rest of the soul that drives us to rest physically. There's a rest of the heart and of the soul that leads to rest in the mind. The mind that races and cannot stop, that's filled with anxiety, that's not simply a mental problem, that's a heart problem. That's a spiritual problem. Christ came so that we might experience gospel rest. The rest that Christ brings, the reason he says that I am the Lord of the Sabbath is that we no longer have to work, primarily work towards our salvation. No longer are we following the law, trying to appease a holy God, because we can't. Christ comes. He lives the perfect life for us on our behalf. He fulfills all of the crushing demands of God's laws that we could not keep, that would keep every one of us up if we're seeking to follow the laws of a holy God. Christ comes. He does the work for us. And on the cross, he says, it is finished. Think about it, men. When God finished creation, on this, on, when he finished And he rested on the seventh day. Why did he rest? He didn't rest because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. He finished and he said, "It, it, it is done. It is finished and it is good. So we see Sabbath rest at creation. We see Sabbath rest with Christ on the cross. Jesus finishes his work. He dies on the cross for our sins and he cries out, it is finished. Ultimate Sabbath rest has come to us in Christ. And now we can live out of that. He is our ultimate peace. He is our rest. And we can live out of this gospel-centered rest. It's why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me, all ye who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the central challenge of this study today. And the cry of God's heart for you, and, and what, what, if anything kept me up last night a little bit, It's this: it's praying for you that you would come to Jesus. He says, come to me if you're weary and laden, if your mind cannot stop, if you cannot sleep at night, you come to me. Friends, I I don't know anyone who's ever stayed up all night long because they're at such peace and rest before God. I suppose we can stay up praising Him. But if you're thinking about God and how much He loves you and who you are in Him, that He's finished all the work, your identity is found in Him, not in your work, not in your performance, not in the approval of other people, but Christ has settled that. He's finished that. You can rest like a baby at night because god has you in his in his arms he says come to me i will give you rest only christ can bring rest to us so let's let's wrap this up living out of sabbath rest recognize the pace of your life first of all are you resting enough and if not why not you need to get underneath that if we had time we could look at the story of mary and martha in luke chapter 10 you know that story it says martha was distracted by many things And like many of us, she was distracted by many good things. It's why I tell even our staff of ministers, there's a way that you do the work of God in such a way that it can kill the work of God in you. And we start running after uh, all kinds of things, and we we can't get it all done. My limitations, listen, are a part of my life, and they're a part of your life. Recognize the pace of your life. It reminds you that you are not God. That you are dependent upon him. Secondly, recognize the pace of creation. I've already mentioned that. That we are, we are made in the image of God. We are co-creators with him. We work alongside him. He rested. We must rest. He rested because he was finished. And we can rest because it is finished in Christ. Number three, recognize the pace of Jesus' life. I've said it before. Jesus was often busy, but he was, but he was, uh, he was never in a hurry. Think about that. And here's the difference between Jesus' life and my life. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, there's a lot of differences between my life and Jesus' life. But, uh, but, but, but uh, here's the thing about Jesus' life. You know, we've been talking about disciple-making and being disciples uh, in, a, in a staff meeting. Even this week, we're talking about it. And, uh, and I confess to our team, and I'll confess to you now. There's a lot, frankly, there's a lot about my life. That uh, Well, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, uh, verse 1. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The first sermon that I preached here uh, from our pulpit when I was called to be our pastor here was, was, I, was out of that. That, that I hope that, that, that the cry of my heart is that you can just follow me as I follow Jesus. Now, you follow Jesus, but I want to live a life that you can imitate. And, I, and I, I said to our team, I confess there's a lot about my life that I, I would love for you to imitate as I pursue Christ. But my pace is not imitable often. The pace of my life is not something I'd want you to emulate. It's not something. And, and this is not, uh, th- this is confessional. This sounds like, you know, when you when you go out and get a job, you, know, you have a job interview, and ask for your weaknesses, well, I tend to work way too much. That's what I do. I just work my tail off. And now, oh, well, let's hire this guy. Okay, you're in, you know. I mean, we applaud that kind of stuff. And that's not what I'm saying here. Uh this is confessional i'm not I'm not proud of it. I'm doing a better job um we're going to fill some staff positions around here they are going to help a lot, but uh, just in a really busy busy season. But I say that because I would ask you uh is is your life imitable? Is it worthy of being imitated? because here's the thing you look at the pace of jesus' life and and Jesus had limitations. you ever thought about that you think oh he was he was a son of God no listen, listen. He was a son of man, fully God, fully man. There came a point at the end of the day for Jesus, and he said, I'm done. I've I'm got to go to sleep. I mean, i got to rest. I'm finished. Jesus had limitations. And so if I'm going I'm, I'm to imitate him, I'd say it this way. As you seek to live like Jesus, how much are you recovering like Jesus? Jesus had to recover himself. He'd come before the Father. Why did he do that? Even Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, he came before the Father to be filled up again so that he might then be about the Father's work and be reminded of the the Father's love for him. And it's in prayer that we do this. So the practices, real quick. We need to redeem rest. The first one is be still. You've got to be still. Psalm uh, 48, verse 10. You know, and I, I challenge is get away from technology, put away your phone, turn off the TV, get away from the noise. Here's another point that's helped me in recent days: establish a finish line. Genesis chapter two, verse two. Uh, I'd ask some of you the question that was asked of me not too long ago: Jeff, when does your day end? Or do you have a Do you have a determined finish for the day? Now, those of us who have uh, wives and, and children at home uh the day ends when you start driving home in the day be done be done uh be be fully present when you get home with your wife in particular um uh, when does your week end now i don't know if some of you struggle perhaps uh as i do my work as a pastor this is true for some of you my work i could argue is never done i mean there's always more needs there's always something to do so um, I was really challenged uh, in recent days to say, hey, Jeff, when does, your week, when does your week fit? Do you really finish? Is there a finish line? And that's, a, that's, an, that's an interesting and very important dynamic and discipline that you need to practice. There's a point at which you say, I'm done. How about at the end of a year? Is there a point? Maybe a, your work has a cycle in it where there's a point. There's a, When does it end? When is there a finish line? You say, I'm done. And, and that's, a, that's a very important discipline to practice if you're going to live out of Sabbath rest. So establish a finish line. Next, learn to read nature's Bible. <laughs> Here's what I mean. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork, Psalm 19.1. Romans 1.19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them through creation. You know, I call myself a Christ-centered naturalist. I love to be outside because I sense the presence of God in creation. Learn to read nature's bible. Spend time outside. Spend time in nature. It's it's easy in our urban uh, North Dallas living that we can be inside or busy all the time. Get away. Have an end of the day reflection. This is important, I think. Psalm 1 verse 2, but I delight uh, d- but his delight is in the Lord and and and, and and in his law, on his law, he meditates day and night. Jesus rested. He reflected with the Father. He would stop. And so as we as we wrap this up in Philippians chapter four, uh, verse thirteen, what Paul's talking about there? If we had time, we could talk about how he says, "Hey, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in." You remember that? That's where that leads to that verse thirteen. What he's saying is, um, "Hey, I, I can have a lot. I can have a little." Uh, whatever circumstance I find myself in, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not saying I can bench press 400 pounds. I can go out for an NBA basketball. I can run through a wall. He's saying that my faith, listen to this, is not circumstantial. That's what he's saying. If you live that way, you can have rest and gospel peace in your life. My worth is not in my capacity or my strength or what I own, is what Paul's saying. It's found in Christ. So in Hebrews chapter 4, and this is the verse that we're going to land on, And then we'll enter into our groups here today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive. This is interesting. So wait, let's work hard to, no, it means to be diligent, to endeavor, to be intentional, to enter that rest so that no one may fall. By the same sort of disobedience. Men let's pray together. Before we head into our groups. Men we can now rest. From the work. That Christ has accomplished for us. No longer works of the law. Praise be to God. It's by grace that we're saved. Through faith. Christ has made us righteous. We no longer have to work. He's done it all. It is finished. God finished his work at creation. Christ finished his work on the cross so that you and I might live out of the finished work that's been accomplished for us. Lord, use this time to draw us closer to you. May we encourage each other. As iron sharpens iron, may we sharpen one another. In Christ's name we pray, amen.